Welcome to Pursuing Justice. I'm Harriet Hendel. The last two podcasts, we met uh, a lawyer from Centurion Ministries named Paul Castellero, a very key player in the case of the guest that we will be speaking to today. If you remember, Centurion Ministries is the first innocence organization, I've been saying project, but I was corrected, organization in the world, the very first. And uh, we are so grateful they are here uh, because they have helped so many, many people get out of prison. So we spoke to Paul for uh, two podcasts and he gave us kind of an overview of the, the case we'll be talking about today, but there's no substitute for hearing it firsthand. So our guests today are Larry Walker and his daughter, Sharina. And what I'm delighted to have you both with me today, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having yes, us. Yes. You're very welcome, very, very welcome. It's my pleasure. So what I thought we probably should do is to begin at the beginning of the your story, uh, which would take us back to 1983. Uh, what events occurred then that would change the course of both of your lives? Uh, back on 1983, I was charged with uh, second degree murder for a homicide I didn't commit. Uh, I was charged with um, being somewhere where I wasn't, and um, he was a friend of mine, and I was charged with uh, second-degree murder and uh, life imprisonment. Life imprisonment, which means what exactly? Uh, you do a duration of your life, or you have to go through the governor for a pardon. Right, so if you don't get that, uh, the life sentence means exactly what it says. Yes, death by, death by incarceration. Right, right, right. So uh, those those events that, that occurred, um, can you possibly be more specific? Because um, Larry, uh, not Larry, uh, Paul, went over the case, but I, I think I would like you to describe um, exactly what happened to put you where you were, which was in prison. Right. Um, I was in uh, a couple of institutions. I was at Greatest Fort. I was at Huntington and I was at Chester. So okay. like most of his, uh, so originally when he was uh, tried and convicted of the crime was in May of 1983. Um, he was um, picked up two weeks after the um murder had uh, occurred and from there that's when basically everything unraveled and um, he wasn't brought back home so we didn't get to see him at that time um it was just more so the events of them moving him to one prison to another until the time that he actually went to trial which um oh, you know, he was represented from there i see i see so what i what i was asking is um could you describe the events, the, the crime itself that you were supposedly guilty of that you were not? Could you right, take yes. us back there? Okay, uh, I was charged with 
of robbery and uh, carrying a, a weapon, carrying a weapon. Uh, and second degree murder. And for, sec and for second degree murder. And um, I guess leading up to that time, uh, my father was um, supposed to have been at work during that time. Um, he wasn't uh, with the actual gentleman that was um, murdered. So um, when that uh, murder took, Kate, took place, he was not aware of the murder. He was not, he didn't even know that the gentleman was, was murdered until once they picked him up two weeks after um, when they found out who he was and trying to find out if he was a part of the murder. So they more so honed in on him. It wasn't like a real big investigation. Mm -hmm. And um, once you were picked up, you were down at the round at house, right. yes. round house for what, 72 hours? Correct. 72 yes. hours, he yeah. was down at the round house. Is that like a holding uh, institution? Yeah. Yes. yes. So that's basically here in Philadelphia. Um, typically, when any type of big murders happen or anything that's big, robbery, um, arson, anything that's big, these individuals, and if it's in the state of Philadelphia or in Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia, you get sent down to our something that's called the Roundhouse. You go there first before you're actually transported to a prison. If you don't, you know, get bail or um, if they let you, you know, go off of your own recognizance. I see. And if if you were not there at the commission of the crime, how did it happen that you were picked up? Uh, he was a friend of mine. So I know him for about two years. And it was three assailants, three men fleeing the scene of the crime. And uh, one of them happened to be a short, stocky and light skinned. And I fit the description of the short, stocky, light skinned uh, that was fleeing. I see. Even though technically he really didn't fit the description because <laughs> as you can see, he's not stocky. Mm -hmm. And at the time, what they had was a person that had a close shave um, with um, a, a light beard. My father had a full afro, a full afro, and um, he had a full, he had a full mustache. Oh, boy. So, um, the reason as to why his name came into play was because he was over the gentleman's house the day prior um, to the guy uh, when he was murdered. So a witness that seen my father that day when they were showing, um, telling them who, um, giving out a description, mm -hmm. that's how my dad was the one that was brought up as a topic, as a person that was possibly there. And so you certainly deny that you were there, that you had anything to do with it, and how was that received by the authorities? Uh, they didn't believe me. I was uh, brought to court, and I had a trial and a, a pay attorney, uh, which didn't represent me well. Uh, he was ineffective, and um, I didn't have a fair trial and um, I, they did a very poor investigation of the homicide. Mm -hmm. And if they would have, I believe if they would have did a more uh, depth investigation, that they would have actually found the actual person that committed the crime. Right. So, so many factors that we often see, the patterns are so similar 
in many, many cases, just what you said, poor counsel, uh, not not someone who was re who really had your back. So the the sentence, the the trial. How long was your trial? Uh, my trial was about, I say, about two and a half months. It was that long. Oh. Yes. Okay. And because they weren't because. able, to, it was like other other factors within his case that um, caused it to be long. Like right. for instance, one of the witnesses, the key witness for my father, they couldn't find her, but the police really didn't do a real effective job of trying to find her because she was also too a part of another uh, case investigation, a case that was going on at that same time. So they were able to find her for that case, but for whatever reason, wasn't able to find, find her for my father's case. I see. And also so, my, my, also my attorney was sick at the time and he addressed it, the uh, judge. So it was a postponal, they postponed it for a couple uh, for a period of time uh, where until he got his doctor's approval, then we went to, went back to trial. And as the trial was going on, what were your thoughts as to how it was going to end? Uh, I was I was nervous. Mm -hmm. I was hopeful that they wouldn't find me guilty because I wasn't. Um, I believe that uh, if it would like I said, if there been more investigation uh, done in my case to uh, prove my innocence, that uh, it would have turned out different. But it didn't. No. And and we haven't mentioned how many years you ended up serving on uh, for a crime you didn't commit yes. how many how many years was it 38 years 38 years yes just uh another terrible terrible miscarriage of of justice so once you were um you were charged for this crime um and knew what the sentence was going to mean, what, what kind of plan did you have for finding a way out of this uh, verdict that was so wrong and unfair? What were you going to be able to do about it? Well, I was really hopeful that I was believing in the justice system as far as like Superior, Supreme Court, and the lower court to overturn my case or to find that it was it was a poor investigation, and I had a uh, I didn't have a good uh, attorney to represent me, that it would be turned over in one right. of the courts. But that didn't happen. No, it didn't. Right. Happen. No. No. Right. And and while you were incarcerated, um, I've I know so many so many um people in your situation because of my work with the Innocence Project in Florida, many of them uh, become what you call jailhouse lawyers and spend a lot of time in the law library. But when I spoke to you earlier before we did the interview, you said you had difficulty with reading. So that was not an option necessarily open to you. So what, what, how did you how did you plan to turn this verdict around after after a while when you saw not much was happening? Well, I was really uh, blessed to have different men 
that was around me, uh, they assisted me a lot and they basically had a lot of patience with me. So I constantly went up to the library and uh, tried to help, uh, try to find help or someone to basically, like I said, to assist me with my legal, my legal uh, uh, assistance. Right. And, and what, what plan of attack did they suggest that you take to overturn that verdict? Um, um, after a while, when I knew I wasn't, um, my faith was like getting a little waver because the courts wasn't coming back with favorable uh, decisions. Mm. I basically uh, asked a friend of mine to type up a letter for me to write to the, either state representative or uh, uh, innocent projects. Um, I have wrote at least about a dozen of them. And um, eventually uh, I got a positive a response back from Centurion Ministry. I see, I see. Now, it's, uh, it's, I always like to tell my listeners that we have 70 innocence organizations or projects, whatever you want to call them, uh, in the world, but many of the state organizations or projects are only take cases from that state. And that's where Centurion differs. Is there, because yes. Yes. They will they will take a case from anywhere in the United States. Now, how long did it first of all, how did you learn about Centurion and how long did it take to get an, a response from them? Uh, a friend of mine had mentioned to me to write to Centurion Ministry and also to one that was in uh, Philly, which was Temple. Right. But uh, Temple Innocent Project. And I also wrote to uh, Innocent Project in Pittsburgh. But like you said, oh, yeah. uh, but they wouldn't accept my case because I wasn't from Pittsburgh or and so forth. But uh, Centurion eventually wrote me back. And uh, that's how I basically uh, got in contact with them. The the two the one you just mentioned that is the Pennsylvania Innocence Project. I just had them on as my guests, um, yes. and they are in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. They try to cover both ends of the of the state. But I'm surprised they wouldn't take your your case because you're well, from Pennsylvania. Right. Well, it was a long waiting list. And they oh. just they basically told me that um, uh, that I had to be patient. So mm -hmm. that's when I basically continued to write Centurion Ministry, and they responded back sooner. Yeah, but if I'm not mistaken, wasn't the and I believe the Innocence Project they needed DNA. Correct. One one of the my father didn't have DNA in I his see. case, which was a big um, factor yep. for um, the Innocence Project. If I'm not mistaken. Right, and Sharina, I wanted to bring you in now. How? You were how old at the time of dad's uh, incarceration? So I was two and a half at the time. He was incarcerated um, May of 1983, and I didn't turn three until July of 1983. Okay, so so certainly um, the impact on you was what would how would you how would you describe um, those early years when he was incarcerated? So for my early years, of course. Um, you know, the younger years, I really only had two um, vivid memories of him being home. One was uh, us going downtown um, to pick up school shoes or shoes. And 
I believe my mother was in a store and my father took my brother and I to, um, it had like a little fountain area um, in the back. So we would go back there while my mom was doing shopping. Um, my next uh, memory of him, which was my last memory of him, was him actually um, tucking me in. And I, you know, can remember it like it was yesterday. I remember the color of the sheets and what he That's said amazing. to me. And that morning, since um, at the time my parents weren't living together, my mother was still living at home with her her parents. Mm -hmm. um, my father didn't stay out of respect. He didn't um, spend the night over. So he would typically be gone in the morning time. And that last time was the last time that I seen him. So I didn't so, get to see him after that. Thereafter, we went to, um, of course, to go visit him um, in prison. However, um, I don't remember, I'm not really, uh, it's, don't remember him being at Greatersford or when he first was incarcerated, but when they moved him to Huntington is the time that I, I remember the most. And I, I don't know where these prisons are. I'm relatively new to the uh, area. I, I'm in New Jersey. But um, how far away from where you were living at the time were any of these prisons? So um, the one that I remember, Huntington, uh, wasn't, wasn't close at all. Uh, we would at least take about a good four and a half four to the, about four and a half to five hour drive just oh. to get there. Um, to go see him because um, it's in Huntington, Pennsylvania. So uh, we didn't get to see him um, that often. Um, they had bus excursions that would go there. So it was a young lady that um, I believe her husband was incarcerated up in Huntington as well. And she started a bus excursion to a van service to go up there. And they would go up there either um, every other month or maybe three to four times within a year. But we yeah. would just have to see when she was able to have these excursions for us to go up. Right. And then once you visited, how how long a visit uh, were you able to have? So we would have about a good what eight hour visit probably. So we would get there for well, six. Yeah, about six to eight hours. Um, typically, when you first get up there, you would have to come up there, and um, you had you were greeted by um, officers as well as dogs because they would come in and search your clothes and you had mm -hmm. to take all your um, belongings out and they would search through your belongings. And then from there, you would actually go in to get searched before you go in to um, get registered. You had to make sure you had your state IDs. My mom had to bring out birth certificates. Right. Um, and then, like I said, it would be people, we weren't the only bus excursion coming up there. So it would be other bus services that were coming so it was like first come first serve if you get into the line before you know the first bus come you'll be in their first batch there to go in and then you would have to wait for them to come out um which probably right. relatively didn't take long once after they you know um called you called you down i guess right yes so what an incredibly long day you're talking about hours getting there yeah and many many hours uh not just visiting but waiting to get in Mm -hmm. um, and I know that because I visit, um, had visited s several men in different New York prisons. And I know it used to take me two hours to be processed. I don't know why, yes. uh, but I would bring food. Um, mm -hmm. Did you bring things with you as, you know, things dad could have? So for um, up at Huntington, we were able to bring food in. 
So my mom would have to get my mom typically before the night before she would make sure she had our clothes all pressed out and ready for the next day. Um, she made sure she had all our IDs, birth certificates. Um, she uh, made the food the previous night before because she wanted my father to have a home cooked meal. So she would um, always be up the night before making the meals. And then in the morning, we would have to get up typically like around four o'clock because my yeah. mom would then pick up my grandmother who didn't drive. So we weren't, you know, close in areas. So she would pick her up or whoever else they needed to go. Mm. And then we would go to North Philly, which wasn't because that was the that was the place where we would meet at for the bus service. So they didn't come pick us up. So we had to drive up to that area and park our cars and then, you know, wait for the bus to leave. A huge ordeal. When I when I visited the prison, one of the prisons was literally around the corner from where I lived in New York. Mm -hmm. And I would get there at seven before the visiting hours began. And I saw the vans, as you yes. say, coming in from New York City, um, which was about, uh, I'd say, a couple hours uh, mm -hmm. trip. So what time did they have to leave early? Right. Yes. If they were getting there when I was getting there early. Yeah, it, it's it's a it's an ordeal. It's an exhausting kind of thing. Yes. So and you you can't do it on a regular basis. It's just too much. No, and then not to mention that the bus would come and it was another prison that was up there as well. It was Smithville. Smithville. Smith Smithville, right? Yeah. Smithville was up there. So you would depending on if you were the first drop off you got picked up first and if you were the last drop off so we would have to go to the first prison drop off the people there for that service then we would have to wait because in the event if um they didn't pass um inspection oh. they had to go back to the bus that's right yeah and there's certain clothes that you're not allowed to wear uh, things that you might have brought in that are not allowed you, you just never know so larry um your memories of all those years, uh, it, it must be incredible when you think back to the decades and decades you were locked up. Um, what did those visits mean to you? Uh, it brought me it brought me hope. I was looking forward to them. Um, it, it, it gave me strength to continue mm -hmm. to go on. Uh, I was uh, very thankful to see my family and to, you know, to see my children. Sure. And I was just, you know, it was uh, like a fresh breath of air, you know. Yeah. It, 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 gave, it kept it really, you going. Yes, it really kept me going, yes. And you have Sharina and you have a son? Yes, Larry Jr., yes. Larry Jr., so just the two? Yes, just the two, the two, yes. And did you saw him as well when... Sharina would and yes, their, uh, her mom. Uh, their mother's name is Vanessa, and she brought them up, uh, both of them, uh, at the same time. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, uh, she's she played a very big role of me uh, continuing to want to fight for my innocence. That's great. That's yes. really great. Yeah, um, that's too what kept me occupied is my brother. So you know, of course, on that long ride. We, um, you know, had to play games and at right. that time, of course, you know, it wasn't no cell phones or no, That's no right. iPads that we could go on. So we had to just keep each other occupied and that's, um, right. that's you know, that's what we did. And thank God we were close in age. So, we, you know, yeah. fought and played. That's great. 
Yeah, I was just asking your dad about what those visits meant, and they are often the only things that keep you really going, right? Yes. They are so, so, so important. Yes. Uh, we're, we're almost at the end of um, this podcast. And I know you both have said you're willing to come back and talk to us some more about your case and um, what happened, uh, you know, when Centurion took your case. So um, I'm just so very, very pleased that uh, you have been willing, both of you, to share uh, your experiences because they're they're certainly not pleasant to think back on. And what what I didn't mention is, Larry, you've only been out since May of this year. Is that right? Correct. Yes, yeah. May the twenty first of this year. Not not much time. So we're going to talk uh, in the next uh, podcast about reentry, which is such a, an important topic, and other things as well. So I very much appreciate your willingness to join me today. And I know that uh, people will be learning some things from what you have told us today. So we will close up and uh, we will see you again on the next podcast. And thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to my podcast today. You have been listening to Pursuing Justice on Society Bites Radio, and I'm your host, Harriet.